over the past couple of weeks, we've been in the middle of a series called Ten Questions, and, or, or maybe you want to call it Grown-Up Faith. And um, it, what it's doing is we are addressing the ten most asked questions about God. The ten most asked questions about God. So we've gone through a lot of different ones, you know, like, um, am I an accident or does my life have purpose? Um, why can't I make my own rules? Um, why can't God just accept me as I am? Um, those were the last two that we, we talked about. Uh, why can't I make my own rules? And why can't God accept me as I am? And, and so this week, we're kind of moving right along, addressing a, a new question as we're looking at the top 10 most asked questions about God. And I know that, that most of us in here, you know, uh, you know, for the most part, we are, we're not the kind of people that really, uh, you know, maybe if you find yourself in church or you've been going to ch- church for a long time, you know, you're not maybe always necessarily the person that asks a lot of questions about God or about those kinds of things. Um, and, and there are some of us here where we, we just kind of like have a natural tendency just to believe and to have faith and to just trust uh, that the pastors in our lives have kind of like told us the right thing. And, and we just don't ask a lot of questions. But then there's some of us here that we do ask a lot of questions. We, uh, we, we do question. And, and listen, one of the disciples, Thomas, was like that. So it's not like it means that you don't love Jesus or that somehow Jesus can't use you. Uh, you know, it's just maybe sometimes the, uh, who we are. We're just a little bit more inquisitive. We just think a little bit more about things and, and, and try, to, try to figure things out a little bit more. And, and I think that one of the things that we have to understand is that it's okay to be that way. And God is not threatened by our questions and our about maybe our doubts and, and things that we have out there. And so he wants to, to do this. He wants to be able to answer those questions. And, and so we've been looking at all these questions, you know, over the past couple of weeks that we've been talking about. Why can't I make my own rules? You know, the, the issue with rules, nobody in here would ever say that they don't want rules because there's rules in everything that, that goes on. The real issue that all of us have is that we want to be the ones making the rules. So anytime that we have a problem with the rules, it's not that we have a problem with rules in general. It just has the problem with the fact that we want to be the ones making the rules. And when we don't like God's rules, we decide that that rule is not good enough for me because I know a better way to do it than God knows how to do it. And so it really comes down to an issue of trust. Do you trust God you know, or do you not trust God? You know, do you trust God who created all the rules of physics that govern the world and the laws of the universe, but somehow we can't trust him with moral law and the laws that, that God has established to protect? You know, so you know, why do we make rules for our children? We make rules to protect them because we love them. Don't run out in the street. You're not allowed to play in the street. Don't talk to strangers. You know, don't accept, accept candy from, don't, don't pick off food off the floor. All of these rules are rules not because we're trying to control our children, but because we love them and we don't want them to get hurt. All right? And God does the same thing in our life. And then last week, why can't God just accept me the way I am? And this is, the, you know, us talking about, you know, we have this mentality that, well, I am the way I am. Why can't just God accept me just the way I am? And I think the thing that we don't understand with that is we don't understand the character and nature of God. He is holy. And because God is holy, um, he cannot accept sin, all right? So he is loving and he is mercy and he is grace, but he is also holy and he is also just. And his love and mercy does not excuse his justice and, and, his, um, and his holiness. 
And so last week we were talking about how the, the, the price of sin is death, and God created a, a system uh, to, uh, to, uh, to deal with that, and then ultimately Jesus became the sacrifice for our sin. And, and because, Jesus, because God sacrificed his one and only son, right? because he sacrificed his one and only son, is one of the main reasons why God says, I can't accept you the way I am. I gave you an out. I gave you a way to, um, to be forgiven and to receive acceptance from, from those things. And, and so God wants us to change. He wants us to uh, become more and more like his son. He wants us to accept his sacrifice, all right? And so today what we're doing is we're looking uh, at the question this, that isn't only one way to God narrow-minded, isn't only one way to God, narrow-minded. And we're going to be looking at this because this is something that we see in our world, in our culture. It's, it's pervasive throughout our culture, this idea that, um, that as, a, as a Christian, if you believe that there's only one way to heaven, that there's only one way to God, that you're narrow-minded or that you're bigoted or that, you know, whatever it is, we, we have all of these kinds of thoughts. And so we're looking at this question, isn't only one, the belief that there's only one way to God, a narrow-minded belief, all right? You know, one of the things that I do is um, especially... Um, you know, and I know that Calera and Alabaster, South, you know, Shelby County area is probably not the worst in the world, but 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 I get uh, I find myself extremely annoyed by traffic issues. Anybody else? You just, I mean, am I the? You know, there's a couple of us. The rest of y'all, y'all are just like, I don't care. I'll get there when I get there. I just, I mean, I look, I just can't handle it, you know, and um, like I I don't even. I don't know if I, maybe once a week I drive over the bridge in Calera. I just, I don't even, I don't even try anymore. Like there's got to be another way to get to where I'm going. And, and you just really never know because it's, and it only seems like our, between Calera and Alabaster on the interstate, there's always an accident that backs up the entire interstate and then 31 gets backed up and every other way that you try to go gets backed up. So literally, sometimes it's just a matter of me going from my office to my house, which just seems right around the corner. I will still pull up my GPS and be like, okay, what's going on out there, right? Okay, I want to know, like, am I, if I get out here in 31, am I going to get trapped for the next 30 minutes? You know, because everybody thought it would be a great idea to get off the interstate and come up 31, and now our whole world is ruined, all right? But if I just decided, like, I'm going to go somewhere, I may not know where I'm going, or maybe it is that I, I do know where I'm going, or I wouldn't know how to get there, but I want to make sure that I'm taking the fastest route. So I will pull out my Android phone, because it's got this cool thing called Google Maps, which is a whole lot better than Apple Maps. Hashtag truth. Okay. <clears throat> I will... I will put in my destination, all right, and it'll and what it will do is it will tell me the fastest way to get from where I am to where I want to be, right? And then on top of that, what it'll do is it'll actually give me a couple other options. Yeah, yours doesn't do that, does it? That's right. I didn't think so. Okay, <clears throat> it give me like three 
maybe sometimes even four options to get. Now, most of the other options are generally maybe like they take a little bit longer to get, you know, like it'll tell me like, oh, this route is three minutes slower. Oh, this route is 15 minutes slower. This one is like an hour and a half. Like, why would you even show me one is an hour and a half slower? Why would I? I'm just going 15 minutes down the road. Where are you taking me? To the beach? All right. So I do this. All right. And, and the reason why I do this is because um, I like options, right? I like options. I don't, and, and there's probably some of you in here, like, like you're the kind of people like you won't even take the same route, route home because you like just like, oh, I want to go a different way just to see different stuff. Who in here is like that? A, a, a whole bunch of you. Okay, I thought it might just be one. I can make fun of you. Now, I'm the weird one. <clears throat> All right, so, but the reason why we do it is because we like options. We like having our options. Well, like, like if there's traffic going this way, I can, I can go. I want, I want a lot of options for the way that I want to go. And, and it's no different with everything else. Uh, we like options with just about everything that we do. Um, you know, if we're traveling along the interstate, we will, we will make sure that we pull off at the exit that has the most options for us to choose from to eat. Not going to pull off the exit that's got like one of Hardee's that's in a gas station or something like that. Not unless we're dying and we know that there's nothing ahead of us. All right, we're going to pull off. With, oh, there's a bunch of stuff here. Let's, mm, let me see. All right, and if, and if, you're, if any of you other guys suffer like I do, okay, you don't even know what you want because your wife doesn't know what she wants. She's just like, hey, just get off here and I'll figure it out. What, I'm like, well, you want this? I don't know. And you, you got to go look. Let's go over here. Look, let's go drive. See, see if something just, like, why can't you just tell me what you want? We'll just find. All right. All right. We, we don't, look, what, what if Calera only had one option for you to eat from? Oh, just one option. It was McDonald's. That's it. It's the only place you could go. It'd be a whole lot of y'all be going to Alabaster. Just saying, okay? Be like, I'm tired of eating McDonald's. Going to Alabaster, all right? We, we don't, we, you know, we, we like options with everything, all right? The same, the same could be said for cell phones. We, we, want, we want, you know, some, some of us, you know, are, are cool that have Android phones, and some of us are just kind of like following the fashion. You have iPhones, and so... We like options. We like options with our cell phones. We like options with our, um, our cars. You know, we like options with our, our TV packages or, or just our TVs. Or, or maybe it's our insurance or our banking. We, all, we, we just like having different options. We like having the option to be able to choose something as opposed to just being stuck with just, you know, one thing. We like having these options. And then what happens is, is that Jesus comes along and he says that he is the only option. And that bothers some people. That Jesus is the only option. Because we live in a society where we just, we have options for everything. And now Jesus comes along and the church with Jesus. And the church says that, there's only one way to God, and the only way to get to God is through Jesus. 
And our world and our society has a problem with that because we like having options. You see, it's, un, it's unpopular, it's offensive, they say that it's narrow-minded, <clears throat> it's, it's too exclusive, it's too intolerant. All of these things are the things that they say about why it is that we, we decide that Jesus is the only way. You know, there's a story that's told to kind of illustrate the idea that, you know, all faiths lead to the same place. And the story kind of goes like this. There's three blind guys who are, um, who are feeling an elephant. Three blind guys who are standing next to an elephant and feeling the elephant. And one of the elephant, I mean, one of the elephant, one of the blind guys feels the trunk of the elephant. And all he can talk about is how narrow and long and skinny that elephant is. Because that's all he feels. And then you have another blind guy who's standing at one of the hind legs of the elephant. And all he can talk about is how big and how round um, and how strong that elephant is. And then you have one who is, who's blind, who's standing up underneath the belly of the elephant, and all he can talk about is how high and how smooth and how straight that belly is. And they use this to illustrate that we all believe in the same God, but we're like the blind people feeling the elephant. We're just expressing our different viewpoints of who God is. And that's the reason why all religions worship the same God. The only problem with this illustration is is that it's told from the perspective of the fourth person. The fourth person is the person who's standing in the back watching all the blind people. And somehow this person is not blind like everybody else because he sees it all and he knows it all. So apparently then what they're saying is is that, that it's the people that believe that all paths lead to the same way are the people that are not blind and they are the people that are enlightened and know all the truth because everybody else is blind and can only see part of what it is that they believe. Obviously, there's a problem with that. And so the Christian perspective, our Christian perspective is that Jesus is the only way. Our Christian perspective is that it's different than all of the religions in the world, all of the religions in the world either try to deny the existence of evil and tries to deny the existence of a sin or wrongdoing, or they try to say that man can work their way out of their problem, that man can work their way out of their issue. Except for Christianity, which says that man can't do it, that the problem exists and is real, and that man cannot on his own figure his own way out. And the only way to get out is through this one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to God. If you were to take out your Google Maps and put heaven in it, then it would only give you one option. Jesus. Just Jesus. So the real question is, because from from a, a skeptic's point of view, you would say, well, why Jesus? Why Jesus? And who is Jesus? And why is it that Jesus has to be the only way? Why is it that Jesus, who is it that Jesus is that makes him the only way? And I want us to focus, I want to focus on three things that Jesus said. Three things that Jesus said. And this is where we're going to look in Luke here in just a second. 
right? The first thing is that Jesus said that he was the Messiah. Jesus said very plainly that he was the Messiah. And so in Luke chapter 4, all right, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says right here, um, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, um, and as his custom, uh, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and he read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All right. Now, if you just casually read that, you think that, you know, Jesus is just kind of reading something, you know, from the scripture. But what he is doing is something that the people that were in that synagogue would fully understand the intent of what Jesus was saying. And that Jesus was saying that he was the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. When the prophet, that he's the fulfillment of the Messiah that was going to come. That this is the year of the Lord's favor. That for thousands of years, these people have been waiting. Hundreds of years, these people have been waiting for a Messiah to come along. And Jesus here, by getting up in the synagogue, reading the words, intentionally reading the words of the prophet Isaiah, getting everybody in there. The reason why the eyes were fixed upon him is because they knew what Jesus was declaring. They knew that Jesus was standing there in that particular place, all right, and that he was declaring that he was the Messiah, that he was the third promise to Abraham, all right? And, and so you could say, well, you know, couldn't just anybody get up there? Couldn't anybody just grab the, the scroll of Isaiah and read the words of the prophet and get up there and make this declaration just like Jesus did? Well, certainly somebody else could have done it, right? But there's nobody else that could have fulfilled prophecy the way that Jesus went about fulfilling prophecy. So not only did Jesus say that he was the fulfillment of prophecy, his life also mirrored the fulfillment of that prophecy in being the Messiah. Scholars look through the Old Testament and they find at least 60 prophetic messages about the Messiah that was going to come. There were 60 messages, 60 prophetic messages by prophets throughout the entire Old Testament that were, uh, that were uh, prophetic of the Messiah's coming. And here are some of the ones that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime. Um, he was born in Bethlehem. He was, now understand, the, a couple of these ones that I'm, uh, I'm talking about here, these are things that Jesus had no control over. So we could say that, Maybe Jesus manipulated the prophecies himself to make them come to pass. And, and you could certainly say that if there were things that he did in his life, like, for example, um, the, prophet, the, the prophecy that uh, the Messiah would come riding on a colt, all right? So we know that Jesus actually went and got a colt when he, on the, on the um, um, uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, to, to begin the Passion Week. We know that he went and got a colt to ride on. So that was a fulfillment of prophecy. You could say, well, Jesus manipulated that because he knew what the prophecy was and therefore he just made it happen. 
And certainly there are some prophecies that you could, if you wanted to say that, take that road, you could say that. But how could Jesus, being a baby inside his mother, okay, manipulate the fact that he was born in Bethlehem? How would Jesus have any control over the fact that he was born of a virgin, which is also one of the prophecies, all right? How could Jesus... Uh, manipulate the fact that he was sold for 30 pieces of silver, which was another prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus' life. How would Jesus have control over that? Um, uh, <clears throat> now, we, we know that there's a prophecy that he was afflicted, but he, did not, he didn't open his mouth. In other words, he did not say anything or did not have come back to say anything to the people that hurled insults at him. And of course, he could have had control over that, but uh, still one of the prophecies that he fulfilled. How could Jesus have... Uh, how could he have had control over the fact that his garments were divided by casting lots by the soldiers there at the foot of the cross? These were all prophecies that were made of the Messiah that Jesus was the only one that could have had control. Uh, that he, he could not have control over these kinds of prophecies, and yet they were fulfilled in his life anyways. There's a guy by the name of Peter Stoner who was the chairman of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena City College, and another guy, Robert Newman, who was the professor of physics and mathematics at Shelton College. And back in the mid-1900s, they, did, they, did, they were doing a study on the mathematic possibility of one man fulfilling the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Now, we know that Jesus fulfilled all 60 prophecies in his lifetime. All the prophecies in the Old Testament that were written hundreds, if not thousands of years before Jesus came along, Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. But they were doing a study. They were saying, they, they did a study they, and, and from a mathematical equation. Listen, they said, what is the possibility of one man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies that were made about him? What is the possibility of one man fulfilling eight prophecies about Jesus? And they came up with this. Going through their, their mathematics, they said the probability of one person fulfilling only eight prophecies, eight of the 60, okay, the, the possibility or probability okay, of these eight prophecies being fulfilled by a single person was one in 10 to the 17th power. Okay? In other words, you take a one and draw 17 zeros afterwards. That's the possibility of one man fulfilling eight of the prophecies that were given about Jesus. Okay. To give us a, listen, that, 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 that number is 100 quadrillion. Okay. 100 quadrillion is the statistical probability of one man fulfilling eight of the prophecies given about him. All right. And, and just to help you out a little bit, um, to, to give you an even greater picture, um, 100 quadrillion. Let's, let's wrap our brains around this number. You could take 100 quadrillion silver dollars and fill the entire state of Texas two feet high with 100 quadrillion silver dollars. Okay? The, have you ever, you ever driven across Texas before? Anybody ever driven across the, Okay. A lot of you, there you go. So you know, <laughs> the entire state of Texas, two feet high in silver dollars. That's what 100 quadrillion is. Now, 
the statistical probability of one man fulfilling that prophecy is like you grabbing one of your friends, putting a blindfold on him, and telling him, hey, you can walk as long as you want, you can go as far as you want, you can dig as deep as you want, and whenever you decide to, I want you to reach down and I want you to find one silver dollar that has an X on it. There's one silver dollar in that whole state that has an X on it. I want you, you got one chance to pick it up. You can take as long as you want. You got one chance to find it blindly. That's the statistical probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. So it wasn't that Jesus just said that he was going to, he was the fulfillment of those prophecies. It's that his life did it. Everything in his life fulfilled those prophecies as he's went along. And the vast majority of those prophecies he had no control over in the first place. He couldn't even control how they happened. Jesus said he was the Messiah. Number two, Jesus said he was God. In John, the Gospel of John, we'll look there. Gospel of John, chapter 8. 8, chapter, let's see here, 20, uh, 23 through 25. It says right here, it says, And he said to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you, um, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But I am him who sent me is true. Um, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to you that what you have heard from him. All right, so he says this, Jesus says this, that, um, that I am from above and you are from this world. I am not of this world. He goes on in verse 58 and 59. Um, let me see here, 58. Um, he says, but Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus himself um, hid himself from them and went out to the temple. All right. So uh, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. All right. Um, talking to the Pharisees, why did the Pharisees want to stone him? Because they, were, because they were saying that he had committed blasphemy. Blasphemy was a stoning offense. That's the reason why they stoned, was it James, the disciple James in, in Acts they were declaring that he was speaking blasphemy things, and so they stoned him. So the Pharisees were picking up stones to stone Jesus, and the reason why that they were going to stone him is because Jesus said, he said, before Abraham was born, I am. All right? Now, I want you to wrap your brain around that for a second. Okay? Let's just say you run into some random guy in Walmart, and this guy says, hey, before Moses was, I was. You're like, okay, caught a loony bin. This dude needs to be locked up. <clears throat> okay? Um, this is what Jesus was saying. Not only that, but he was using the phrase, right? Remember, Moses stood before the burning bush, and Moses said, who am I supposed to, who, how, how do I tell the Israelites that you are the one who sent me? Like, who do I say that you are? And what, is, what does God say? He says, you tell them that I am that I am. 
I just, I am. And this is what Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He was using the same terminology, the same phrase, which is the reason why the Pharisees got so aggravated, because they recognized that Jesus was saying that he was God. So, he was either God, or he's crazy. Right? I mean, that's just it. He was either who he says he was, or he is crazy. Right? And even his disciples, even his disciples believed it and confirmed it by the things that they wrote about. Think about John, John chapter 1, verse 1, right? Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and lived and dwelt among us. This is John writing the testimony of Jesus after Jesus had already died on the cross and rose from the dead. He's writing this introductory to his gospel saying that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and lived and dwelt among us. Even John the disciple was saying that Jesus was God. And the third thing that Jesus said, Rob, you can come. Surprise, surprise. Jesus said that he was the only way. Right? So he said that he was the Messiah. He said that he was God. And then he said that he is the only way. John chapter 14, we find, I don't even, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. These are the words of Jesus. So again, either Jesus was crazy in a nut job, and we got no business being in here worshiping him, or he is exactly who he says he was. And we have every reason to be in here worshiping him. Jesus said himself that he was the only way. And if you think that this, that, that this is narrow, just understand something that Jesus even said it was narrow himself. Right? And another and, an, and another statement he said enter through the narrow gate because wide is the path that leads to destruction and many are on it enter in through the narrow gate the small gate the small path where few are on it and few find life even jesus himself said that it was narrow, that the way was narrow. So when the world tries to step in and say that we are narrow-minded, just understand that Jesus said that the way to get to God was a narrow way. It's not a wide way. It's not all paths lead to the same place. It's not all beliefs end up in the same place. It's a narrow way. Jesus said it. There's only one way to get to the Father, and that is through Jesus. So not only did Jesus say he was the Messiah and backed it up by the fulfillment of prophecy, 
not only did Jesus say that he was God, okay, that he was God, he said that he was the only way to get to the Father. The only way. He's the only way for you and I to find life. All right? Let me ask you something. What if you decided... What if you decided it was extremely narrow-minded for somebody to tell you, listen, what just these narrow-minded people, what if somebody told you, you just decided you, it's extremely narrow-minded for somebody to tell you that gasoline is the only thing that you can put in your car to make it run? That's just extremely narrow-minded. I mean, why not water? I mean, there's a lot of it. It's refreshing. Right? It replenishes the body. Why can't I just put water in my car? You're narrow-minded if you're going to tell me that the only thing I can put in my car is gasoline. Well, that would be stupid, right? Because if you want to think that way and you want to go put water in your car, like you, you, you have every right to do that if you want to. But your car won't last very long. Right? And it won't go where it is that you want it to go. So you have every right to believe whatever it is that you want to believe. You can believe that there are many ways to the Father. If you want to, that's fine. You have every right and ability to do that. It doesn't mean that you'll actually get there, unfortunately. We wouldn't ever say that it's narrow-minded for somebody to say that gasoline is the only thing to put in our cars to make it run because we know that that's the way they're built. That's the way that they are to make them run. And, and it's... It's the same way when it comes to heaven. You see, God is the one that made the rules. He's the one that has established the afterlife. He's the one that's created everything that is here, right? So we could ask a question like, well, then why didn't God just make multiple ways to get to heaven? Why why didn't God just create many different ways? Why did there only have to be one way? Why can't there be many ways to get to heaven? Why, Why didn't God do that? Well, I have to tell you that that, that question, and it, it, it reeks of entitlement, does it not? Because the question that I would ask is this, why does God even have to make one way at all? What, why did he, did he, did he have to make a way? Is there something that says that God had to make one way? Because listen, we, we were, we're lost We're lost in our sin. We're lost in our transgression. We're lost in our hopelessness. If God doesn't make a way, we are hopeless without Him. Without Him. We are hopeless without Him. And He didn't have to make a way if He didn't want to make a way. Because He knew that the price of sin would be death. He knew that the payment of sin would be death. And that there would have to be a pay. Either we would pay our own debt or something else would have to pay that debt. And that's what we were talking about last week. That God had established this covenant with Abraham and the Israelites. And once a year, listen, once a year the father of the household, the representative of the house would bring a spotless lamb into the temple. It was the only time he could walk into the temple. And he would walk to the slaughtering tables on the temple and he would take that spotless lamb and he would place his hands on that lamb and he would confess his sins, the sins of his family upon that lamb. And then that father would have to take a knife and slit his throat from ear to ear and watch the blood and the life drain out of the animal right in front of him. 
because the price of sin was death. Knowing that one day Jesus was going to be that spotless lamb that was going to hang on the cross. That his blood was going to be drained from his body and the life was going to be sucked out of him because of our sin. And that was the way that God was going to have to go about making a way. Why did he even, he didn't even have to do that. I mean, are you going to try to act like God needs to give us multiple ways when he didn't even have to give us one? He didn't even have to give us one. Let me ask you this. Why did he give us one? Why did he give us a way? Because of love. Because of love. That's why he did it. Because of love. God gives us a way to get to heaven because he loves us. We don't need multiple ways. We just need one way. We need to recognize that it's okay just to have one way. We don't need shortcuts. We don't need multiple ways. We don't need any of those kinds of things. We just need to understand that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And the reason why God gave us Jesus was because he loved us. Think about the things that we do for love. Think about the things that we do for the people in our life because we love them. And think about the thing that God did for you because he loved you. That if even you were the only one, he would do it all over again because he loved you. You see, it's a miracle that God has given us away anyways. Just away. It's a miracle. And that miracle is the love of God that he cares so much for me and he cares so much for you that he made a way for us to make it to heaven. That heaven could be our home. That when we pass on from this life to the next, we could spend eternity with him. Will you stand to your feet this morning?